0: So I came into church. My name's Andrew, by the way. I'm going to be speaking to you in a minute, and I'll explain what I'm going to cover in just a moment. So I came in this morning, and the first thing that people ask me, not how I was, is, why are you wearing that suit, or what's, you know, why are you poshed up? I said, are you preaching today or something? So yeah, so I'm modeling the new outfit for the preachers. So when you see Dan and Steve, i don 't know if any of you 've seen Paul Hudson and there was some sort of vote on the on the weather forecast on the, uh, on the, the TV about there was a vote about whether he had to wear a tie or not on the, on the for the weather forecast, but, and he actually had to wear one but anyway, I am going to take this off. The reason why i 'm wearing it incidentally is I have another service to go to after this one at the the minster so there we are so it 's been a bit of a week hasn 't it it 's been a bit of a week so who likes waiting for things? No? <laughs> yes? Or who likes looking forward to things? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to Easter, and perhaps not for the, uh, the right reasons, really. Obviously, there's Easter. We're talking about Jesus. But I have these little, these little beauties. My grandchildren are coming to visit. So that's uh, Sophie on your left, my right, and Elisha. and Elishas a picture there. You'll see a little badge on him. He's been to his first evangelism conference. It's not bad, is it four months, four months old in Spain. So I'm really looking forward to Easter. Perhaps it could be we're looking forward to Christmas. It's only 40 weeks away. There were thereabouts. <laughs> How about holidays? Yeah? or football or rugby matches? Yeah, maybe. Or seeing family? So I'm seeing my grandchildren, looking forward to that. Or how about um, some warmer weather? Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> some, Somebody's been experiencing that as we've just heard. Welcome back, Steve. But, um, how, what was the temperature in South Africa, by the way? 25 degrees, you know, only about you know 25, 30 degrees uh, difference with wind chill factor. So, has anyone been in a position where they have eagerly waited for something, and it's not turned out quite the way they, they did expected or anticipated? You know, we mentioned Christmas. Let's just go back for a second. Perhaps the wrong Christmas present. Really looking forward to this amazing Christmas present, and it's not quite what you're expecting. Or it rained for a week whilst you were on holiday. Or maybe Hull FC or Hull AFC or KR had lost again. Maybe that's not that unusual. Or perhaps family came around and there was this massive argument. It wasn't, again, not really what you were looking for. And again, as I mentioned, even the weather. I've got to confess, I'm a bit of a weather watcher. So I'm always looking to see what's gonna happen next day or next week. You know. Is it going to be raining for five aside or something of that sort? And do you know what? It's quite easy to be disappointed, isn't it? Because things don't turn out the way that we expect. But we'll come back to that later. So, as I said, my name's Andrew. And today we're going to start off a short series leading up to Easter. And it's entitled, as it's got there, What a King. The story of the cross tells us of our King Jesus not arriving with an army to win a physical battle and lead his people into victory, but instead a servant who made himself lowly and sacrificing himself on a cross for us. So in the run-up to Easter, we're going to look at what Jesus achieved through his death on the cross and what that means for us today. Over one page... So today I'm going to be looking at the predicted king, but over the next few weeks, Steve's going to be preaching next week on the sacrificial king. The following week, Ali Scott is coming down from Chesterle Street, um, the Durham Church Plant, and he's going to be speaking on the liberating king. Then Dan's going to tie things up on the 25th of March with the conquering king. And then of course we have Easter, and he's, Dan's going to be talking about what what the cross or what does the cross mean. So if we look back in the Old Testament, and um, there will be quite a few Bible passages today. Uh, I'm not going to read everything which comes up on the screen. I might refer to it, or I might just read out little bits of it. But if we go back and think about the Old Testament, in Genesis, ever since man fell in the Garden of Eden, God had a plan for us. In fact, even before the Garden of Eden, God had a plan for our salvation, for the salvation of mankind. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And the Old Testament has literally hundreds of prophecies and predictions about Jesus and his life, and you'll be grateful to know that I'm not going to go through that many this morning, but just a few. So we're talking about the Messiah, and by the way, Messiah means the anointed or chosen one. Um, Probably throughout the, when I'm speaking this morning, I'm going to be using Saviour and Messiah interchangeably, just so please don't get confused. But the three areas that I'm going to be looking at today are, what type of Saviour were the Jews expecting? I'm sorry, you can't see that. Uh, What type of Saviour is Jesus and who is our Saviour? What type of Saviour were the Jews expecting? What type of Saviour is Jesus and who is our Saviour? So, firstly, then, what type of savior were the Jews expecting? Over a period of many centuries, there was a growing anticipation regarding this Messiah. And we're not talking about days or weeks, but centuries. Centuries. And let's continue to set the scene now as we look at our first passage, which is in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Again, really sorry that the the PowerPoint, uh, I'm assuming you can't see that very well, can you? Yeah, it's not too bad, okay. Sorry, on the screen up there, it's not very clear. So in this passage, it talks about a son of man, and that's Jesus. The ancient of days is God, uh, and dominion, that's a bit of a strange word, isn't it? So that's sovereign or supreme authority, the power of governing and controlling. Kingdom, I'm sure we're all familiar with that where a king rules and people are subject to to his rule. And by the way, just in terms of context, in terms of when Daniel was written, it was something like 600 years before Jesus actually came. So in Moses' time in the Middle East, it was understood that each nation worshipped his own god or gods, and the prominence of each nation showed the power of the gods. They would have understood that God gained glory when Israel won battles against nations, that worshipped false gods. They believed that God's intention was to enlarge his nation and over a period of time would purify their hearts so that he would have a great kingdom of wholehearted worshippers. In Zechariah 14 verse 9 it says, The Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. At the time of Jesus' birth, birth, the Jews would have understood that the goal of all God's activity would be to expand his reign over all the earth until one day, no other god or gods would be worshipped anywhere. As with other examples in the Old Testament, they would have expected some sort of warfare to achieve this. The Jews expected a great king to establish and reign over this expanded kingdom and ultimately, the whole world. We look at Genesis 49, verses 8 to 12. And again, it just astounds me that, you know, Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and I know we can't get too caught up in terms of exactly when they were written, but this this is the first book in the Bible. This is a long time ago. Listen to this. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine his cult to the choicest branches, choicest branch. So Jacob, uh, in the Old Testament, had 12 sons, one of whom was named Judah. And each of the sons uh, that Judah had became leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, named after themselves. Now, Judah was the royal line, and the descendants included David and Solomon. Now, Jesus was a descendant of, um, of Judah, And there's there's a lot more to this this story in terms of the royal line, and I haven't got time to go into it today. But Jesus was from that royal line. Incidentally, the scepter it mentions is a symbol of sovereignty. Psalm 2 also says, The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth. As your possession. The two passages describe an anointed king who ruled over the whole earth and perhaps seem to suggest warfare in terms of a battle. So at the time of Jesus' birth, just returning to that again, the Jews were longing for a Messiah. The conditions were harsh. Torture and public crucifixion were commonplace. Thousands were murdered and taxes were overwhelming. The most faithful Jews seemed to be those who were persecuted most harshly. And one writer, and again, this just puts it in a bit of context, one writer has described it as being similar to Nazi Germany. Those who prospered were those who had colluded with the Romans, the tax collectors, and the temple priests. So the Jews yearned for God to establish a kingdom of justice by purifying the nation from corruption and freeing it from the Roman uh, persecutors. They were expecting God's king to wage war against the idol-worshipping Gentiles, the Romans and the others, and destroy the sinners amongst the Jews. They would have looked to prophecies such as the Messiah being from Judah's line, a son of David, his descendant, and therefore Going to war, as David had. Seems reasonable. Or perhaps even like Moses, who defeated the Egyptians. The expectation of rebellion, conflict, and an uprising would have been at the forefront of their minds. So the Jews expected their messianic king would come to bring war and judge the people in a way that relieved them from their immediate problems and circumstances and restore a kingdom a kingdom. Similar to that, what is spoken about in the Old Testament. And interestingly, even as we move into the the New Testament, John the Baptist used language again stating that Christ was coming in wrath. But as we know, today the Jews misinterpreted the Old Testament passages. And sadly, many still do today. A key aspect that they failed to recognize was the spiritual element and a bigger picture in terms of God's plans, not just for them, but for all of humanity. I wonder how we see Jesus. Do we see him sometimes as someone who is there just for us in our situation? So what type of savior is Jesus? And perhaps this is more familiar to us. So Jesus was a different savior to that which the Jews were expecting and hopeful. So let's look at some of the passages that perhaps paint a picture, as I said, that we're more familiar with. And isn't it easy looking back in hindsight? And I think there therein lies another issue. Sometimes when we look at Scripture, don't we like to read it and interpret it so it fits in with our circumstances? so that we can sort of like twist it a little bit so that it just fits in and speaks to us in the way that we want it to. So I've, att- I've attributed different titles now to um, Jesus's kingship and these, and these are not exhaustive, but you'll see that as we go through some of them then, um, yeah, they, they just speak of the, the savior that Jesus is to us today. But let's just return to Genesis 49 and verse 11 for a moment. So we start, we've we've looked at what the Jews were expecting. But what did that passage say, which perhaps the Jews really didn't take um, account of? So king, yes, ruler of the nations, yes, but riding a donkey? The reason he chose a donkey was to leave absolutely no doubt that he was Israel's Messiah. And riding an unbroken colt or donkey, that was a miracle in itself. A bit like an unbroken horse, you know, the fact that there was no issue, he just got on it and just rode it. There was no sort of like problems there. And it says in Zechariah 9 verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle or humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And in Matthew 21, it speaks of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and he was riding the donkey. Perhaps, you know, all this business of Jesus riding a donkey, it's not a great picture of this warrior king, is it, that the Jews were expecting? But somebody who's gentle and humble. Verse 10 in Zechariah also says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, and the war horses is from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. So here is a prophecy stating that Jesus the king will enter, a Jew, enter Jerusalem on a donkey, not a war horse. He was not coming to wage war like so many Jews have believed, at least not in a physical sense. He came to wage war on sin and death, to restore that, what had been lost in the Garden of Eden, as we will hear about more in the next few weeks. So let's look at some of the other titles we can give to Jesus. Shepherd King. Again, these are very familiar to us, I'm sure. And Ezekiel 34 and John, verse, uh, John 10 verse 11 talks about Jesus being a shepherd. And to me, that speaks of care and love and intimacy. John 10 said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do we know Jesus' voice? Have we heard that whisper sometimes, that care? Do we know Jesus, that, that intimacy that he has available to us? And Isaiah 61, as I'm Sure, I really didn't need to put this up here, but reflecting our banners and, um, yeah, Jubilee King, and I think that speaks in, in several ways. Jubilee, obviously, Jubilee Church. But Jubilee King, Jesus who releases those from um, the prisoners and those who are bound up. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, freedom for captives and release for prisoners. And again, in Luke 4, 18, that's what Jesus started his ministry with, isn't it? Jesus came humbly and gently and demonstrated God's love and compassion for his people. He cared for people. He was interested when there were people who were sick. Great story this morning from Eddie that being healing, okay, through the doctors, but Jesus Cares for Eddie. I'm sure you know that, Eddie. It also talks about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Again, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7 also talks about Jesus coming as a baby. Again, not a great image of a warrior, Lord, is it? A baby. For us, then this is a Christmas sort of passage, isn't it? One we often use is a Christmas passage. For to us a child is born, for us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. We will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So peace, true peace comes through Jesus. And then Savior and Sacrificial and Spiritual King, I've just put them together because there's there's so much, there's so many titles that I could actually talk about. Jesus brought with him Salvation. And elements of the future kingdom, which I'll mention in a moment, Isaiah 51 says, listen to me, my people, hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me, my justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. Again, another familiar passage, Isaiah 53, by his wounds or stripes we are healed. Through the cross, we are, we are or can be healed of our sins. This is talks about spiritual healing. By his wounds, by what Christ suffered for us on the cross, we can be healed. Verse 7 in 53 says, he was led like a lamb to a slaughter. And then in Hebrews 2 verse 14, he too shared in their humanity. Jesus knows the things that we go through, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Salvation is for now, but works out to completeness in eternity. Through him, all the works of the evil one have been defeated. They no longer have any hold on us, and I'm sure there'll be more of this in the weeks to come. An enduring picture that keeps coming back to my mind. you know that snake that Steve had a few weeks ago? And, yeah. Two weeks ago, was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago? That because of Christ, we can overcome the works of the enemy. Jesus, whilst he was with us, also demonstrated his compassion and love for us through physical healing and miracles amongst many other things many other things. And then, restoring king. In the Garden of Eden, physical life lived alongside spiritual life. At the fall, we, both, we lost both. Spiritual and physical death came because of sin. And through the cross, Jesus provided, has provided the way for us to return to God in spirit and in body. Through the cross, Jesus has provided the way for us to return to God in spirit and in body. And future king, and that's not to say that he's already with us in terms of being our present king. Zechariah 14 verse nine says, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. As I said previously, this starts to paint a picture of the future eternal kingdom. It's not, and it was never meant to be, for there and now. It talks about a future kingdom with Christ. And even as we know salvation through Jesus on the cross, the eternal physical kingdom is still to come. So Jesus didn't come to win a physical battle in terms of armies or political systems. He came once and for all to win the spiritual battle for our souls so that we could spend eternity with him. When Jesus came, God had the bigger picture and us in mind. Whilst for the Jews, he may not have relieved their immediate woes, he opened a door through the cross which had eternal benefits for us. It wasn't just about that particular circumstance there and then. So, okay, you may say this, it's good or not perhaps to have a look at some of the historical stuff. It's good, I think, to perhaps lay some foundation stones for what we'll we'll be speaking about over the next few weeks, but how does that apply to me? How does expecting a certain type of saviour affect me Today, So Jesus is everything we could possibly hope for. He always goes ahead of us, and he does fight our battles, and we can rely on him. He doesn't always do things in the way that we expect. I'm sure many can make testament, testimony to that. But remember, he has the bigger picture, and he has our long-term good at heart. And I was thinking that I was reminded of a story or a situation. It was not a story, because this is true. In my last church in Cardiff, there was a guy who joined the church and um, fairly newish Christian. And he would started praying for this job. And he was absolutely convinced that he was going to get this job. You know, so much so that there was, there was almost like an arrogance about it. But you know what, he didn't get that job. And as a result, he fell away. He was angry, disappointed. Who is Jesus to us? Do we want him to be, or have we let him become, someone who has to fit in to our lives or around our circumstances? Or maybe he doesn't even feature at all in our lives. Is our faith one that revolves around uh, our circumstances? Is he leading or do we expect him to follow us? Is he leading or do we expect him to follow us? As I start to draw things to a close, perhaps if I can ask the band just to come back up. Does our faith take a battering when things don't work out the way we expect them to? Are we still waiting for a different type of Messiah? One that will champion our cause of injustice or suffering. And that's not to say that there are causes out there which are worthy of attention. But maybe we've just got the priority wrong are we still waiting for a different type of messiah the one that will champion our cause of injustice or suffering rather than one who proclaims the good news of salvation and hope in him through grace are we disappointed in jesus are we disappointed Have we expected him to have dealt with a situation and he hasn't, or he hasn't yet, or perhaps not in the way we expected? If we could have the uh, last slide up, please. Our past, present, and future hope is Jesus. What should King Jesus mean to us if he's at the center of our lives? Are we saved? It's gotta be the starting point, hasn't it? Are we saved? Is our life surrendered? His way, his will, not ours. Are we being obedient to him? Are we serving? How are we serving? Is there a spiritual richness about our lives? Are we living that abundant life which he talks about in John 10, 10? Is there a spiritual richness about our lives or is it a bit flaky? And our, our eternal life, our future with Jesus, isn't that something that's truly worth looking forward to? Start, I started off by asking, you know, do we look forward to things? The whole uh, aspect of eternal life from what there is to come, should get us really excited about our faith because what is to come will be absolutely amazing. How much do our lives reflect these five things today? How much? And let's respond by considering first what we need to do in our lives to allow Jesus to rule in every part. Thank you.